1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. There is a word now in common usage. Is it called the nothing burger? That's what yesterday was. That's a, I think, a big nothing burger. But it's important that it was a nothing burger. It's a nothing burger with something. The man I most want to talk to about this is on the line. In fact, we're trying to get him an apartment in Southern California so that he just does it face-to-face with me. I have him on that often. Uh, Andy McCarthy, what do you think about an apartment in Southern California?
2: Um, As long as it's not on one of your uh, earthquake fault lines, Dennis, I guess uh, guess I'd be fine with that. I'd be one of the few people... Relocating to California instead of out of California—that's
1: so true. You would optimism, it would be very right? rare. By the way, there is a discount. The movers have discounts in that direction. It's, it right. costs more to move out of California than to move in because nobody's moving in. By the way, you know this right. fault line thing, Andy McCarthy. You have finally disappointed me. I can't believe that you fear. Living on a fault line here, you who live in Manhattan or work in Manhattan, with all people who who wish you ill are worried about earthquake fault lines.
2: Nah, no. Re- look, Dennis, you're you're entirely right about that. The way things are these days, we're like um, we're walking fault lines. Right. And in all seriousness, um, one of the big things that we are arguing about here in uh, New York the last few days is you know, the terrible uh, viral photos and videos that have gone up of the pour in the water on the, the police officers here. I grew up in the Bronx in the 60s and 70s. And people don't have an institutional memory of like the days before Rudy was mayor around here and how quickly it can go from uh, law and order, which we've enjoyed in the kind of revolutionary way for the last generation to back to the bad old days but we're heading there
1: you know obviously i want to talk to you about yesterday but i would like you please i did not discuss this yet uh because of the hearing uh and i had to speak about it before and none of the matters that i've discussed this week can you uh, give a just a brief synopsis of the water pouring incident uh, there in new york
2: yeah, the um the police responded to an area in in uh I think it was in Harlem um and they were I, there was an open water uh, hydrant which is not unusual uh in New York when we're having a heat wave and I don't know exactly what the reason that was why they responded like what whether it was routine patrol or they were coming uh, to, to deal with some particular uh, incident, uh, but they were accosted uh, on the street, and they were abused, and water was thrown at them, and finally there was a guy who's been identified as a gang member who actually had a big bucket of water and poured it over the head of, of uh, one of the police. And it's just emblematic, Dennis, of what has happened here under a mayor who— Actually, has people pining for the good old days of David Dinkins, if that's uh, if that's possible. I mean, he, we have a, a an absentee mayor who has done pretty much nothing other than uh, defang the police, and I mean that in uh, I mean that in the sense that he's he's disabled the police from doing their jobs, and he's made. Where we changed crime in New York, which was at record numbers in the '60s and '70s and '80s, by enforcing the law, he has made it impossible for the police to enforce laws against petty crime. Even though our experience tells us that that is the that's the you know the roadmap to catastrophic crime, and you know on a scale of one to ten, we're still living off the the residual. Good policing policies we've had over the last generation so we're only at a two or a three but it, people just don't realize how how quickly it can it can go back to chaos
1: was the uh, was the individual you just described the gang member arrested
2: he was arrested yesterday he was not arrested on the scene why but now there's another video. why
1: why why wasn't he arrested on the scene
2: i I believe there were only two police officers there, and there was a big... Oh, so they
1: were, afraid, the they were afraid of the people who were uh, assembled.
2: Yeah, I think that what the police did under the circumstances was probably the prudent thing uh, to live to fight against the we, how do we have a How do
1: we have a video?
2: Uh, people on the street took the video.
1: And they then supplied it, or they put it up on so social media? put
2: it up on uh, social media. Because they
1: were proud of it?
2: I think so, yeah.
1: Well, it's it's interesting when a society has police fearing the populace more than the populace fear the police, that is the beginning of the end.
2: Yeah, I think that's right, and and I also think that um, the the great thing about the uh, New York City Police, we always brag here, are the you know the greatest police force in the world. Um, the great thing about the way crime came down when we had an intelligence-based um, law enforcement uh, approach, which we still have here, but it's, uh, it's on the lane, um, is that the police weren't so much feared uh, as respected, and they integrated themselves uh, into the into the communities that you know, it wasn't just like guys going around in patrol cars. They actually got out and hoofed it and and got into the communities and got to know people and picked up intelligence and and all that stuff. And they managed to show that you can um, you can be the uh, the emblem of law and order uh, and at the same time not terrorize people, which is what the uh, of course the slander against them is. So it's. it's to me, it's tragic to see it start to go back the other way, because I remember how it was when I was a kid.
1: Did the mayor say anything about the water-pouring incident?
2: Not that I've heard, but, I, you know, he was in uh, Iowa doing very important business. What's he calling that? He, he's almost up to, like, 0.7% now. Is he?
1: Is he? Well, he may have some relatives in Iowa,
2: <laughs>
1: the de Blasio's of Iowa.
2: Yeah, yeah. He'll be president someday, right, right after Swalwell.
1: You're funny. You, you you have to be to live where you live. Anyway, this is all a result my dear friends. Of Andy McCarthy saying, "Oh, I'll be happy to have an apartment that's over in Southern California if it's not on a fault line." And then, what does he describe? Mayhem in, in where he lives. <laughs> <laughs> just for the record, I just want people to understand how this, how all of this happened.
2: That's right. It's yeah. it's fair enough. And, and we we poked fun California when I was a prosecutor in New York. We used to say that if you uh, if you pick up the country by the. Uh, by, by the East Coast that all the loose stuff rolls to the Ninth Circuit. But,
1: um, <laughs> That's changing. But,
2: yeah, it sure is. I mean, that, we shouldn't look down our nose at anyone
1: from here. Oh, God, is that ever true? All right. By the way, again, uh, I, I had you on recently because you and I and some others have un- just simply understood that the president's comments w- go back where you came from. We're not racist, they were they were poorly phrased. I was I, I I would have done anything if I were in the White House to have him not send it out. But it wasn't racist. The term is used. You know. By the way, I just want you to know how how easily it is now used and worse. There is an email that has been found in, within Google from executive to executive, describing uh, Ben Shapiro. Jordan Peterson and PragerU as Nazis. Jesus. Yeah. Well,
2: what meaning? What meaning do these words have anymore? They're right. You know, I, I I was sensitive to this when I was a terrorism prosecutor. You know, when you when you deal with, um, I, I've heard military guys react this way to the common uh, expression in sports to call guys who are on sports teams warriors. You know, when you've actually been in war. You have a whole different idea of it, and I dealt with actual terrorists. So to you know to to hear people compare trifling things to you know mass murder attacks, you, you start to say to yourself, as, as you know, everybody who's looked at the history of World War Two says that you know if you tribul- trivialize a, an abomination like that and you lose the mm-hmm. the, uh, the the Educational uh, purport of the of the lesson of, of what happened, right? Right. And you don't have a we don't have a language that's to, to even convey our uh, right. our most important thought. All
1: right. Having uh, talked about New York and America and California and police, now let's go to the hearing yesterday. Your take in a nutshell.
2: There's no way, Dennis, that Robert Mueller ran this investigation. He clearly – I thought that he was staff-driven. I thought that for a long time. Uh, But I thought yesterday that what we really saw was it's inconceivable that he could have played much of a role in this other than figurehead. Uh, And that's important because not only – you know, the the comeback to everyone who has pointed out that he recruited – activist Democrats to run this investigation is that there was no need to worry about that because we had Bob Muller, the you know rock-ridden Republican, who was uh, running the show. He clearly was not running the show. But I, the deeper point I want to make is that under the law, you are not supposed to have a special counsel unless the Justice Department is laboring under a conflict of interest that is so profound. Uh, that the Justice Department can't handle a prosecution or an investigation in the normal course. And here, all these activist Democrats that he recruited, many of them at least, were high-ranking officials of the very Obama Justice Department uh, that conducted the investigation of Trump during the campaign, uh, and that were high officials in this supposedly conflicted Justice Department. So again, it underscores that this should never have happened in the first place. There should never have been a special counsel investigation.
1: But he's the one who appointed them, correct? Yes, I think what happened is blame lies at his it, feet.
2: Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to absolve him. I'm just t- talking about the day-to-day of how this operated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look, I, with his uh, obvious weaknesses... Which were very apparent to us yesterday, but this is the first time uh, we got a load of them publicly. But how could they not have been known to Rod Rosenstein, who appointed him? Um, so I, I just think this this is a special counsel that there was no basis for it in law, there was no basis for it in fact, and I really think that what happened here. I, I resisted this for a long time, but I can't draw any other conclusion than that they wanted. Mrs. Clinton to win the election. And when she didn't win the election, uh, they decided to spend the time that they had left running the government uh, in a way that would create the impression that there was something here to investigate in the way of a nefarious conspiracy between Trump and Russia. And the goal was to have basically a monitor over Trump's administration. Uh, and to be able to conduct an investigation that would continue even though he was still president, and in theory had the, the power to shut it down, and that's what this was all about.
1: When you say they, who do you have in mind?
2: I think it was bit, it came out of the Obama administration. It was the Obama Justice Department, the Obama White House. Uh, you know, I, I, I know people's eyes glaze over when I say that um, this started out as a counterintelligence investigation. But the reason it's an important distinction is counterintelligence, Dennis, is done for the president. It's not a criminal investigation that's done to vindicate the rule of law in court. It's an intelligence mission that's done to support the president's uh, national security responsibilities as, as chief executive. So these investigations are done for the president. All this talk we always hear about, you know, you can't have political interference in investigations. That's true about criminal investigations. It's not true about counterintelligence investigations they are done for the president. And I think this one was done by the Obama administration at a very high level. How high? The president. Counterintelligence is done for the president. The day before Comey briefed President-elect Trump on the Steele dossier and on the Russia threat, he was at a meeting in the Oval Office with the president. Susan Rice wrote a memo about what happened at the meeting. What was discussed there was what information about Russia could not be shared with Trump and his transition team. I mean, this is this isn't speculation about whether, you know, I I hear this all the time. Do you think Obama was involved? We don't have to speculate. We know Obama was involved and it would be crazy if he weren't involved because this is counterintelligence.
1: Will there be hearings to establish this?
2: I, well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're now looking at the uh, the two investigations that uh, uh, target the investigators. Um, you know, Horowitz's IG report should be coming in early September. Uh, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut that uh, uh, that Barr appointed to look at the genesis of the investigation, that, that as I understand it, is proceeding a case, and Senator Graham says that he is going to – look into this in his uh, in the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. So I do expect that we're going to get some accountability here. Plus, I hope the President is going to eventually uh, unseal some of these classified documents, which will give us more of a read on uh, what actually happened here.
1: This is pure curiosity on my part. You have any notion of who you think will get the Democratic nomination?
2: Uh, Well, I think we're we're down to um, a top tier of probably four or five of them who have a chance. I, I, you know, my my head is telling me Warren, although half the time I say to myself I can't believe that, but uh, I, I just don't think it'll be Biden. I just, um, I, I just don't see Biden as being the standard bearer for today's Democratic Party. And I, I frankly, this is, and I, maybe I shouldn't read Mueller onto Biden, but I, I just don't think
1: he's up to it mm-hmm. and i think too many democrats would not vote right yeah. i i happen to my, my my i don't ever make predictions it's not my my field I, it's not my my nature but uh since i asked you the question I, i'm with you uh, we, we really do uh think similarly i i think elizabeth warren would be the favorite at this point too but uh, it's, it's hard to believe that if things continue as they are, that a Democrat, any Democrat, would beat Donald Trump.
2: Yeah. Well, now I should tell your listeners, Dennis, just to, to have whatever grain of salt this deserves. Um, I am the one who said that Obama was too radical to be president that the country would never buy it. <laughs> and I, And I thought that Trump was not serious.
1: Uh, I get no, no. I, I hear you. I didn't say the first, but I certainly <laughs> said the second. I, yep. I, I, I agree with you um, for what it's worth. But I just wanted to know who you thought. Listen, uh, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, Andy McCarthy.
2: Always a pleasure, Dennis. Great to talk to you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy.